Hi folks, welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. On this week's episode, we have on Carlos Corredor, CEO and co-founder of Condor Marketing and Staffing Agency, who's here to talk about how he's grown his agency past 70-plus employees, all employees besides himself, based in Latin America. And we discuss the history of Condor and its growth trajectory, and Carlos's philosophy on building a LATAM-based delivery team while targeting and working with U.S.-based clientele. We get into employment types, full-time versus contract versus freelance, and the key benefits for tapping into this LATAM talent pool, both financially and skill-based. And for other U.S.-based HubSpot partners looking to follow suit and grow a team outside of the U.S., Carlos offers his perspective on how to do it successfully, including how to anticipate the necessary changes across operations, communications, collaborations, and more. You're listening to another episode of Agency Unfiltered. Welcome to the Agency Unfiltered podcast. How are we doing? Hey, Kevin. Doing great, man. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. Uh, happy to have you on. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I know you might be you know, in transit sometimes when I catch it, but where are you today? I'm in Miami now, which is where I live. Um, but yeah, often, I mean, soon in, in Mexico and Venezuela, visiting the rest of the team and in Colorado in an event tomorrow. But for now... Until today, in Miami. Yeah, at home. And Miami doesn't, uh, you know, as the as the wind, as the the temperature, as it starts to get a little chilled up here in New England, Miami sounds pretty nice right around now. Uh, yeah. As does maybe Mexico too. Yeah. So it looks like you're hitting all the right spots at the right times. Yeah. Today went down to seventy, and people are starting to complain. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all subjective, I guess. You know. Uh, well, Carlos, uh, I love that you teed up that uh, you're visiting some team members. Uh, across the U.S. and into Mexico, because uh, that actually segues really nicely into, I think, the conversation uh, we're hoping to have today. And I think that goes to the uh, the team building strategy or the way in which you've built out, you know, the 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 uh, employee base at Condor Agency, your agency. And so maybe the best place to start, why don't you just walk us through it? What is that model? What is that philosophy for building and growing Condor uh, as an agency as you've built, you know, up your client base uh, maybe walk us through how that may have evolved over time. Let's start there. I started Condor with a good friend of mine. We're the two founders, and we started five years ago, and we're both from uh, Latin America, from Venezuela. Um, but I moved uh, to Chicago now almost 12 years ago, and I worked before starting Condor. I, I did a master's there. I worked in a couple of other agencies. Mm-hmm. And that really allowed me to understand, you know, the marketing world in corporate America, let's say, right? From type of work the clients do to who is delivering those projects. And, you know, I always knew that there was a difference in terms of salaries, uh, but I didn't know yeah. it was that big. Not only salaries, the cost of the projects, how much you pay to employees, how much you pay to agencies, right? Yeah. So that's really what, you know, got us thinking about building that business model of having the team outside of the U.S., in particular in Latin America, Mm -hmm. where we grew up, where we know how things work. We know 
where to find the people. We know the type of skills depending on the country and the, or the university, etc. But you know, focusing on clients that are in the U.S. Perhaps not enterprise clients, um, but definitely medium-sized companies that are a little bit on a limbo because most agencies are going after enterprise clients, or at least well-established agencies are going after enterprise clients. So you know, companies that have I don't know. 50 employees, yeah. uh, companies that are making five, $10 million in revenue up to 500 million in revenue, right? That's a space that, you know, for them, it's really cost prohibitive to work with a, with a well-regarded agency in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's essentially how we started and how we've grown our, you know, our business model in these five years. No, that's great. Um, and, you know, uh, you mentioned the opportunity at the mid-market. I think you, you mentioned, too, a lot of agencies, especially a lot of HubSpot partners, are seeking to go uh, up-market into the enterprise. I know that's a topic that we cover on this podcast quite a bit. And so there seems to be an opportunity here at the mid-market, which is, uh, it sounds like where Condor may be operating. Uh, and then it sounds like, too, I'm, I, I'm starting to see, like, the ratio of, you know, mid-market uh, businesses looking to pay U.S., you know, rates for agency services, um, but you have, you know, employee salaries and those that are delivering the work at a much cheaper cost. You can start to see that the profitability uh, already taking shape. But Carlos, for uh, uh, just to set the context, how big is Condor today? How many total employees? And then what's the breakdown of US-based versus LATAM-based employees? Yep. So we're up to 70-something people. Let's say, let's... Is that what you said? Let's run it up to 70. I think it's 72 or 73 with the last couple of hires. Um, So, and they are, all of them except me are in Latin America. So I'm the only one that is based in the U.S., you know. Um, That's a size in terms of the team. We, you know, because of the growth that we had in 2022, we made the Inc. 5000 list um, for the first time. uh, Congrats. This year's list. Thank you. Uh, Where we we were also number three. Number 33 amongst agencies, right? Mm-hmm. Top 500 overall and number 30, 33 amongst agencies. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because when we started, obviously that was the business model from the start, but we always thought that, okay, at the beginning, you know, we'll do, I mean, the, Antonio is the other founder and me, we'll do the account management and the sales, but eventually we'll get somebody to do account management in the US. We mm-hmm. thought that was a no-brainer. And then we said, you know, for what we're going to pay, to somebody in the US, you know, we can get instead of somebody with a couple of years of experience, we can get the head of sales of Leo Burnett, Mexico to do sales for us, right? So right. we continue and we, you know, same thing for account management, right? So even those roles we filled in Latin America. I think those would definitely be the the last ones that you would um, outsource or hire outside of the US. But in, in our case, it has worked just because the way that, you know, we're from there, right? Mm-hmm. And then lately, you know, the the, the roles that we do uh, have here, or not roles, but yeah, the figures are, for example, consultants, mm-hmm. business coaches, partners, right? Especially in the last year or two, we've done, you know, we spent some time there and, you know, done a good amount of effort to build that network because that's obviously, you know, impossible to recreate outside of the US, right? But other than that, it's everyone is it's, uh, in Latin America. Yeah, that, wow, that's great. So it's it's quite literally 99 point something percent of mm-hmm. the, the employee, everything besides yourself. I didn't, I didn't know that. And now does Condor, are you only looking to grow the team with full-time employees uh, across Latin America? Or do you have, you know, a, a, you know, a bench of freelancers, contractors, like what are the various employment types that you, that you tap um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, that's, that's a great question. Um, as an agency, it's, it's interestingly enough, one of our, and this happened organically, one of our two main target audiences or segments are other marketing agencies, right? Where we don't necessarily have more expertise in them, or we usually don't have more expertise in them in their particular services, but we, we can help with staffing solutions and resource planning solutions. Hmm. Um, and that obviously enters into the decision of when should you hire an FTE versus a freelancer? Um, for the services that we execute more often and where we have enough workload and predictability, mm -hmm. we go for FTEs. It's the, uh, from a cost standpoint, is the best route to go long term mm -hmm. as long as you have that predictability. Yeah. But perhaps for services that are where that we're adding to our repertoire. Um, or that it's a one-off that a client that we might know. We have a pool of freelancers, for example, you know, video editors. That's one that we are recently building, and, it, and, mm -hmm. it, and demand for that is growing, right? But at the beginning, we started with one person part-time, and then you know, as demand for that grows, then you know, we turn that person into full-time, and perhaps another add another part-time. So it depends a lot on on the workload predictability, mm -hmm. on the ex if we have the expertise or not. Um, and the type of skill, essentially, and uh, obviously the cost factor, but, yeah. you know. No, it makes sense, well, though, that the determining, the, it sounds like the key determining factor of whether you should seek to fill a position with a full-time employee or tap a contractor or freelancer is the workload predictability. Is this something that we're hoping to offer or the type of deliverable, the type of engagement we want to consistently deliver to clients? If so, you know, obviously having somebody full-time makes a ton of sense for that. Um, Carlos, you mentioned that you, uh, some of your, clients are other agencies looking um, for help or some guidance in this area. Uh, what are other mistakes or pitfalls that you find other partners or agencies uh, bumping into uh, when, when resource planning uh, or, or, you know, thinking about, you know, team growth in their future? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, the first one, there, there are a few, I think the first one and most important one is not having the data to make those decisions, right. And mm. starting with, I mean, usually days they know the revenue numbers, uh, but a lot of times when you get to gross margins, not only as a whole, but by service, by client, and ideally by deliverable, then, you know, it gets really messy, right? So if you don't know which services are profitable, which, cli which clients are profitable, how can you increase those profits, right? Because you cannot, you know, you need to know when do you increase profits by decreasing the cost of your team? When do you increase it by charging more? When mm -hmm. can you charge more if you are good enough already or if you have to invest in innovation to be better at a certain service or deliverable, right? So mm -hmm. just having the gross margins, it's, it's step one. After that, you know, that will give you visibility into those kind of decisions that you need to make. Usually a, a very common mistake is as we were talking before, uh, hiring FTEs when not only that you don't have uh, enough predictability, but you don't even have the role defined or the responsibilities defined and the, and the need for those deliverables, right? Mm. Uh, I've, I've always been used to track my time. I think it's, it's amazing how some agencies being in the 
in the people people business <laughs> don't require their employees to track their time you know if you yeah. are, i mean if you are an award-winning creative agency that you know you do super bowl commercials and you have the most creative people on earth yeah you're not going to ask them to track their time but usually when it's when you do a lot of execution when you have a back office team mm-hmm. you know cranking up work seo researches landing pages campaigns you know that's a commodity essentially uh, or a lot of that is a commodity and you should definitely be tracking that time so yeah measuring the productivity of your in-house team and having them to the same standards that when you hire somebody outside you know outside of of your agency that you know in that people are very um used to negotiate being tough negotiators you know with, with contracts with renewals demanding yeah. in status meetings but for some reason they 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 don't have the same standards or or measurements in place for their in-house team and their in-house team it tends to be at least three quarters of the cost you know of an agency tends to be their in-house team so that's a common mistake and, and then you know we go into for example you know should you go and outsource the work versus do it in-house whether that's with a freelancer because your workload is not quite there yet or the predictability or you don't have the expertise in which case then you need to vet and select the right partner because it's not only a cost issue it's also you know you're, you're sending a deliverable in the name of your agency you better yeah. have yeah, the quality, quality and accountability piece yeah 100 yep. percent. so all of those decisions around resource planning e- I don't know. It surprises me that there's very little planning, very little time put, uh, an effort and data put behind that. You know, it, that's that's I think the main one. Well, it uh, it's it's making sure you. It sounds like to, to to repeat it back. It sounds like making sure you have the right uh, data with the right granular lens. Obviously, you mentioned like the gross margins being a key piece. I think you mentioned time tracking and measuring the productivity of the team, right? So some of those things. You also mentioned that. Uh, pitfall you see is that some agencies are looking to maybe fill a, a role or to hire a full-time employee without having that role fully baked out or like fleshed out yet. What does that, what does that tend to look like? It sounds like a cart before the horse type scenario. When does that, when does that happen? Yeah. So for example, let's say, you know, they have, because we, you know, we do staffing and recruiting for agents a lot and they come and say, Hey, you know, I need a full-time, for example, I need a full-time email marketer, you know, <laughs> like, okay, let's sit and discuss the details because, you know, there could be different types in terms of skills, backgrounds, industry expertise, etc. And they're like, no, well, I'm having a, pay, a sales pitch, you know, for this big project. And, you know, they're going with part of, a part of implementation. And, you know, we're definitely going to need, you know, a bigger team than we have now because right now we have nobody. I said, okay, and how are... And then when you start talking about the details, it's like, well, it's a project that is going to last three months. Mm. That is going to require not only one, but it's going to require three people to do it, right? So you're going to miss the mark. You know, if you hire somebody full time, it's going to take the recruiter probably a week or two to start sending you resumes and qualified candidates. You're going to interview them for another week or two. They're going to have to put probably their 15 weeks, you know, 15 day notice, right? So you're talking about between a month, best case scenario. And more realistically, a month and a half or two to have that person in your team. By that point, the the project is already you're gonna already gonna be late, mm. right? And the person is gonna do the onboard. You know, it's crazy. You know that yeah. that's not the way that you solve that challenge, right? Whereas if you have a good partner, that yeah, they're gonna charge you a little bit more by the hour, but you're gonna do the project on time successfully. You're gonna make margins there. 
And then, you know, once you have more predictability, then you start moving some of that in-house, right? But that's, that's, for ex that, that's an example that, it, that happens a lot. I mean, I mean yeah. I'm, I'm exaggerating maybe in this but one. But no, I understand the sentiment. But yeah. that's usually what happens. It's, it's, so it sounds like there's the importance of aligning like the scope and the requirements of a project uh, and, and benchmarking that with either the talent pool you already have bench of freelancers you already have or the potential need right uh for for a full-time employee but knowing that the full-time employee the vetting the qualification the the ramp up period like yeah that's you know there's a whole other timing element that maybe some agencies that you've spoken with aren't accounting for right yeah yeah but for example if you have a, a team of six email marketers you just landed a new client that's permanent you want to get the team to seven yeah it makes sense you know your current team can absorb the, the workload for a month or two while you get that other person so it depends on the situation. Yep, that makes sense. Now, you, Carlos, you obviously uh, are are for yourself, right? Hiring LATAM-based employees. You're also working with other agencies or other partners in helping them do the same. Obviously, you know, we talked about the cost element, the salary differences. I can imagine that that makes a, uh, you know, uh, uh, helps with the gross margins component that you uh, alluded to. But what are the additional value adds to the business? Like, why has it been such a uh, important, you know, uh, intention for Condor and for the agencies that you work with uh, to, to scale in LATAM specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing in LATAM is that, or at least the way that we do it in LATAM, because there are several other, you know, agencies that are, that are offering it, uh, we, we're not going for only the cost savings. The cost savings will be there, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like if you're going on a vacation, right, you know that going to, let's say, Mexico is going to be cheaper than going to San Francisco, for example, right? Or Miami yeah. Beach, if you're going to go to the beach, right? That doesn't mean you're going to go to the cheapest hotel in Mexico, right? You're going to go to a great place in Mexico that is still going to be cheaper than a mediocre <laughs> place in the U.S. Sure. So we do the same approach you know, for talent. We go after the top talent in Latin America, right? Because we think that's the way we do it for ourselves and that's the way we recommend doing it for clients because obviously you want somebody that yeah it's going it's, it's going to cost you less than in the US but it's going to do great work and great work you know it, it includes several things it includes that they need to speak great english you know almost mm -hmm. you, know, per, you know perfect essentially right and so we go for people that do that and a lot most of them even, even studied a college or a master's in the U.S., right? There are a lot of those people in Latin America, you know, mm. so that's one area. Expertise. So, for example, in our in our analytics team, we don't have marketing majors that know how to use Excel, right? We have data scientists and data engineers mm -hmm. in our analytics team. And the same thing for our clients, right? So we're going after, you know, really the best talent you can find. So I think that's uh, a difference. I think there are other, depending on the skills, uh, and if really cost savings are, are the only thing you have in mind, there are definitely either both other agencies in Latin America or even other countries that you can do it. You can go to the Philippines, you can go to India, mm -hmm. right? And that's a more mature industry in those places where you, when you talk strictly about cranking out work, you know, repetitively. But at the same time, I think AI is also impacting that type of skill. So, you know. Also but that's, true. I think that's the main reason. I, I know, you know, we're from there and I remember, you know, it's just like, you know, we're also big into sports and into baseball. It's like, well, you, every, every major league team you see today, they, they bring the best players, you know, from Dominican Republic, Japan, Venezuela, you know, so 
you, we try to do the same, you know, for, for marketing teams and agencies. Yeah, I love the baseball metaphor. Speaking to a, a Boston Red Sox fan, so I get it. I know how they develop their, you know, grow their farm system and develop their players. Um, and to your point, it's not only the cost savings, but there's a balance between having a cost savings, but also seeking out and bringing in the top talent, right, that the region may have to offer, you know, based on whatever you're looking for, role or, or requirements, et cetera. Um, what are the biggest considerations that teams, companies, agencies need to make when looking to grow a team outside of the U.S., whether it's in LATAM or otherwise? Like, how does that change their operations, their communications, the, you know, like their go-to-market? Like, what, what are the biggest changes or considerations that they need to keep top of mind when growing a team? Yeah, well, I think the main one, I think COVID alleviated the, main, the first one a lot, which is just being in a different place, you know, five years ago. When I was in Chicago, you know, that was before COVID in the other age that I was, you know, we're trying to outsource some work and uh, there was a lot of, you know, reluctancy, resistance to change because, not because they were outside of the U.S., just because they were not sitting next to you, you know? Right, right. And COVID was a forcing function to just comfortability with distributed teams, right? Remote yeah, collaboration, exactly. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And that's understand, uh, totally understandable. I think that, again, you know, COVID itself took care of that one. Um, but, but it, obviously, you know, it's still important just as how you plan and, and communicate with somebody that's in a different city in the U S same thing with somebody that's in a, in a different region, you know, probably having a, a, a project management tool helps whether that's Asana, for example, we use ClickUp, Trello, yep. whatever it is, you know, that helps Slack helps as long as you don't abuse it, you know, <laughs> um, I think also building a team in the same time zone helps a lot too, you know, mm. because you're already dealing with somebody that, that is not with you. But then if that person is working from midnight to eight in the morning and you're working when they're sleeping, you know, yeah, you can delegate things, but it, it, it helps to have an overlap window where you can meet, where you can quickly ask a question, where you can bring them to another meeting that you already are. So, you know, hopefully, you know, or, or most of the time that helps too. Um, and also, I think starting small is important, right? If, if you've never done it, start with a position, start with a part-time person, you know, because mm -hmm. you're probably not going to be the only one putting your hands in the fire, you know, for the decision, right? You're probably selling this, right? So it's, it's much easier to sell the project and sell the outsourcing model when you do it uh, successfully with a person or two, then, you know, Believe me, the, the their leaders and the owners or their bosses are going to be the first one to say, hey, can we do more of that? You know, they're mm -hmm. going to be the one requesting as opposed to you pushing it too hard, you know. So I think starting yeah. small would be another, yep. another one. Piloting makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it sounds like I think you mentioned like ClickUp and Asana, but leveraging systems, right, to help uh, with, with, I think just that, that's just best practices for remote collaboration regardless. Um, and then I think that's a good tip too, just again, as you pilot it, as you test it out, seeking uh, uh, folks in a similar time zone, right? Kind of eases the transition for sure, makes it a little more uh, effective or like easier, you know, collaboration, yeah. right? Uh, overlap yeah. of work, right? Um, Carlos, what like, um, what about like any uh, 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 like cultural considerations or what does like uh, the, the hiring process, the vetting process, interview process, right? The transition uh, from an old role into a new role, like anything cultural or like just expectations wise uh, for, for seeking employment that, you know, uh, agencies would want to, you know, keep yeah. in mind. Yeah. I think the main one is, you know, it, it, it's interesting because on one hand, 
and going back to our analogy of baseball, you know, <laughs> when you see players and kids, you know, growing up in in Latin America and, and in particular in the case of baseball, Dominican Republic and Venezuela, which are, let's say, the poorest countries compared to Japan, which is another baseball mm-hmm. uh, country, uh, they do they would do everything to play in the major leagues to be signed by a major league team you know they don't here you see and understandably so the kids when they are 17 18 they're deciding should i go to college you know mlb teams are offering me this or that you know and they consider it they doubt it you know because they have a lot of other options right so kind of the same thing happens in the corporate world right when they have the opportunity to work for the best and the most powerful economy in the world they take it and they appreciate it and they are really hungry, you know? And sure. so that's another thing. Whereas in the U.S., because everyone has different alternatives, you know, they have a little more uh, negotiating power, right? They can afford to be a little more exclusive in how long they stay at a job, how much money they ask for, etc. Sure. So, however, having said that, you know, that people in Latin America, they tend to be really hungry. They all, it's also a different culture and mentality in terms of their approach to work and not only a work-life balance, but commitment to your company. You know, here in the U.S., again, you know, it's a capitalist capitalist country, you know. Mm-hmm. Latin America is more on the socialist side. Even people that are, that have the best education, just culturally how they grew up, their parents' education, the country education, you know, they can definitely definitely be a little more cynical mm. towards their employer, right? Uh, or have different goals, right? And they don't understand that if the company is doing great, you cannot do great. You cannot expect certain compensation if the company is not meeting their goals and vice versa, right? So that would be that's something that mm. we definitely weed out during the interview process, right? We want to make sure that, you know, you're hungry, you want to be part of this economy, you're going to appreciate it, and you are going to understand that, you know, you need to add value to the business and the business needs to do well, and everyone will do well and everyone will grow, right? So I just, like, without, you know, that cultural aspect, I think it's important. Yep. No, uh, it's a helpful frame of reference. Um, uh, Thanks for sharing. Are there any, uh, we talked about uh, skills, we talked about top talent, you know, if I'm an agency, if I'm another HubSpot Solutions part, I'm like, man, you know, we've been growing this piece of the business, the service offering. It's time to start, you know, investing in it, uh, bringing in some new employees. Maybe we'll start to look uh, at the talent within LATAM. Are there any uh, uh, services or skills as it relates to like the HubSpot platform or the services around it that aren't quite a fit yet for the talent pool within LATAM? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it, marketing in general. So, for example, not going necessarily into hospital yet, but talking about marketing, mm-hmm. uh, I think Latam is a great place in general. Uh, for example, development, people are used to outsourcing development to, or IT, for example, to India. Development yeah. to uh, Eastern Europe, right? Um, and perhaps cheap marketing labor to the Philippines. I would say, if I have to generalize, people are very used to doing that, right? Mm-hmm. I think LATAM is a great place for marketing in general. Now, when you go into the marketing channels, for example, if we consider HubSpot to be, you could consider that to be on the development side or more on the marketing automation and email side. Um, But I think LATAM definitely offers that alternative. For example, I think just by being the biggest country in LATAM, 
with the most amount of universities and college grads and, and proximity to the U.S., Mexico mm -hmm. is a no-brainer for that one. Um, for the analytics portion, web, web analytics portion and, and analytics also, I think Argentina, although Argentina is going through a crisis right now, that you also need to watch out for that. You know, I think Latin America in general is somewhat... Uh, unstable politically, uh, but in particular, and that's okay, you know, as, as long as you're aware of the risk. Uh, but La Argentina today, it's it's in a very tough place because of, yeah. again, currency issues. Uh, but yeah, I would say analytics and even some development in 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 Argentina is good. I think Colombia is another emerging one that it's mm -hmm. good in terms of both size uh, because you know the the population and talent availability and English speakers. Uh, I, would, I would say for hotspot, uh, Colombia and Mexico make a lot of sense. For example, other smaller countries like Venezuela, where we're from, that's a great country to build, you know, somebody that is really raw right out of school that they haven't, you know, worked uh, at a, either an agency or a marketing department, but then you train that person, right? We have... And, uh, you know, by being gold partners of hospital, you know, you, we have definitely solid trainings in place to grab somebody fresh out of college and get them up to speed really quick. And as long as they're supervised by the right person, you can also mm -hmm. find value there. But again, it's more like potential. I need to train that person. Uh, than it's like existing Mexico. skill and expertise versus, yeah, finding somebody that's going to come in with the hunger uh, that exactly. you'll be able to coach and develop, right, to build. Yep. yep. Exactly. Yep. So it sounds like uh, Colombia, Mexico, you mentioned, I think Argentina as well, Venezuela. Um, now, uh, outside of reaching out to Condor Agency, right, if this was something that I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, start for my own business, where and how do I get started? So we've identified, you know, hey, these are the types of skills uh, that we should be hiring for here, are the countries that the top talent might be located, like where and how do I get started? Where do I go find the talent? Where do I go? you know, meet them where they're at, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you probably have to either recruit that. I mean, Upwork is always an option, but the thing with Upwork is that you don't, and it's always a freelancer mode. You're not creating necessarily a, a solid partner there that can help sure. you ideally, you know, because it, it's not only finding the person, it's uh, building a team, making sure you're protected either. Does it make sense for you to incorporate in another country, right? If you only have a couple of people, Probably not. You know, you can you can find a partner that does that. But ideally, it's the same partner that helps you with, you know, the defining the type of skill that you want and the figure that you want in terms of permanent versus temporary. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, that can find you both alternatives uh, and then that can staff them on their payroll in case you're not incorporated. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, ideally, it's a one size fits all solution. It's very common that going back to the example of tourists when they visit Mexico, you know, they go down and yeah, they obviously they save, but they, everybody takes a piece, you know, he, the guy in the airport, the taxi jumps at you at the airport and he takes a piece. Then, you know, the, the, the guy at the restaurant takes a piece. And ultimately you didn't, you didn't save a lot of money. Right. So whereas if you go with one person that takes you throughout the whole, you know, experience and you're clear from the cost from the start. And that goes from, again, recruiting, even if you have to find an office space, um, uh, staffing the person if you need to let the person go you know that you are covered from a legal standpoint all of those things you know um mm -hmm. ideally you should again you know do it under one partner that has you know expertise and that 
offers you a good value and a good plan for that. Yeah. So there's benefits. Well, first off, it sounds like to really be able to do it uh, effectively and successfully, you want to find some sort of like a staffing partner, someone that has the expertise, right. And hiring in these, in these areas, in these regions. Um, and there's value in working with a singular staffing partner that can full, you know, across the board from uh, recruiting to filling, to helping with some of the legal compliancy, right. Uh, employment uh, paperwork. So there's, there's benefit there, but to your point, this was interesting. So uh, the, remind me, what's the decision-making criteria for whether or not I should seek to be incorporated in that country or not? Is it the the size of uh, employee, like the how, quantity of employees I'd be hoping to, to hire in that country? Yes, exactly. But the, because there are some legal costs, mm-hmm. not only legal costs up front or one time, let's say, but also, you know, uh, administrative costs. You, you need to do accounting and taxes in a different um, yeah. country, right? So somebody needs to do that, right? Uh, So if you only have one or two people, you know, uh, even if they're full time, but if there are, you know, if only a couple or let's say up to five people, you know, outside, you know, rule of thumb up up to five, then it makes sense to just pay somebody to have them on their Mm -hmm. payroll, you know? Yeah. Whereas if now you're up to 10, you're going to continue to be in that country. You like it a lot. You're constantly recruiting there. Then might be that might be a good time to say, okay, you know, why don't I incorporate here um, so I can, you know, I can do it on my own and probably uh, ultimately save more money that I'm spending, especially in terms of, you know, how to, to be able to have people on my payroll. Right. Um, and so it sounds like the tipping point is from like, all right, for one to two, maybe up to five, but as you go beyond that, that's kind of tipping the scale towards like, yeah, maybe you should seek out, right? Uh, yeah. And does the does the partner that you have, somebody like Condor or otherwise, the staff, do they assist with and offer guidance for agencies to get incorporated into the countries that they'd want to be incorporated in? Yeah, definitely. And that's also, keep in mind that that's for, let's say, what we call unmanaged resources, right? Or full-time resources that, are, that you are uh, managing and they work full-time for you. Right. But in some instances, you know, you might be better off partnering with somebody that manages that for you, you know, and that, you know, that or what we call white label services, right? Where you need, uh, you, you're looking to save a little bit of money. Perhaps you don't have the expertise or even if you have the expertise, you know, you like somebody to, again, you know, save you management time essentially and, and giving you the deliverables, you mm. know, perfectly obviously you know if we hire a full-time person we or any partner if they hire a full-time person for you you're gonna manage them right if they make mistakes if they deliver something that is not you know client facing you know then it's gonna be on you to again train that person uh put them on a performance improvement plan whatever it might be whereas if you put somebody a lot of times we see that it's valuable to put an account manager or project manager that is seasoned with the channel with u.s clients and then you can scale because you can build a team, not only one, two, but potentially five people under that person, right? And it's, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, a, I don't know, we've seen that model be really valuable. Um, and in that case, you know, perhaps, you know, you want to do it via the agency partner that, that you do it with, and you don't even have to be incorporated for that. You just, it's just a transaction with an agency. So there's almost like the the fourth option on this menu where it's like, well, you can either hire a full-time employee, you can look to contractors you can you know find freelance then there's also this fourth option which is you can see like outsource or bring in a partner who may have a team that's primarily built in you know one of these latam countries and then they can either 
you know, do the white label these services. But again, there's a cost savings for your agency, again, because of all the reasons we mentioned about the, the talent within LATAM. So there's that fourth option, the, the white label or outsource component to another right. agency. Yep. Yeah, and the benefit of both the white labeling and the, let's say, part-time, whether that's freelancers or what we call shared resource, is that it's immediate, right? You don't need to plan. Even if you're going to hire a freelancer and start the, the search from zero, it's going to take you, you know, a couple of weeks to have that person in. Whereas if you already know a team and you know you can tap into that team essentially on demand, literally overnight, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's another, that's really valuable. It makes sense. Carlos, what have been, uh, obviously you, you mentioned growing a team up to 72, 75. What have been the, the biggest lessons learned, right? As you've grown Condor, a client base that's US-based, an employee base that's LATAM-based. What are the biggest lessons learned along the way? Uh, is there anything that, that, that you learned uh, or any pitfalls that you had to navigate that listeners today can, can benefit from? Yeah, I mean, I think we've always been data-driven, uh, but even us, which I think that, you know, that that's actually, I think that's one of our strengths, right? How data driven we are, even ourselves, you know, we've made some mistakes in terms of resource planning that again, starts with a financial planning, you know, from the start by not having that, um, very clear, not only goals, but also, you know, margins by team, by client, um, how because we've been growing quarter the only quarter that we didn't grow it was q2 of 2020 when COVID hit but other than that you know we've, yeah. we've always grown quarter over quarter so it's like we take it for granted right and then you know last year even though we still had a better year than 2021 we overestimated how much we we're going to grow and ended up hiring more people right mm-hmm. um also mm-hmm. i think because we hire the people in latin america we know you know we have a little more leeway because salaries are, let's say, a third of, of, of what they're in the U.S., so maybe we abused that in the past, so that's another mm-hmm. learning. Uh, but I think, again, you, you can never be too meticulous with your financial planning and mm-hmm. with your gross margin reports. Uh, and then the other one is, I'm not going to say that we reg- – I don't think the problem was hiring the people, the extra people. I think the problem was not calculating what they were going to do and making sure that we had demand – for though you know, not even not taking the time to establish their role and responsibilities, yep. even a rough estimate of how much were they gonna spend on each area, on each channel, on each client, you know? Yeah. Um I, I think those those are two two big ones. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. It goes back to the pieces you talked about, just yeah, what are the the biggest mistakes agencies make when uh, trying to you know, properly resource plan. It sounds like, you know, understanding the scope of work, the demand that would warrant, right, additional headcount for your team. Makes sense. And sorry, you mentioned this, I guess we didn't, we didn't cover it explicitly, but you just mentioned this. Is the shorthand kind of the the back of the napkin math, the salary differences for somebody at the same level of responsibility is one third if they were in LATAM versus, you know, you know, key markets in the U.S.? Correct. Your rule of thumb. Again, and you have to be really careful with that because you can go lower, but then you're going to start sacrificing uh, quality, right? Sure. But I'm talking about uh, 100%, a person that is 100% fluent in English with the same expertise in terms of technologies, type of clients, industries, right? I would say a third, including, right? 
you have to count recruiting costs in the US and recruiting mm-hmm. costs, like, like all things being equal, I'd say a third. Yeah. And yep. again, you know, I recommend half, but then having a, a better person, right? You, you, well, that's you, exactly, that's, that's if all things are the same, but there's an opportunity to still experience some cost savings, but to, exactly. to go up on, you know, level yeah. of skill, expertise, you know, et cetera. 100%. 100%. Um, Carlos, as we come up on time, uh, I do want to just squeeze in one, one last question here. We wrap every episode with the same question. Uh, what's the strangest part of agency life? Yeah, no, I, I think one that is just happening now is that, I mean, it's a people business, but then, you know, after COVID, it, it, everyone is working remotely. And, you know, I, 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 for example, speaking personally, I, at one point, I had been talk, I had been working every day with a team that I hadn't, I had never met in person, right? So yeah. because again, COVID was almost you know two years between you know the quarantine and then the travel bans and everything. So yeah. that was amazing, you know, going in person and and spending time having a beer or even like working on a on a, on a deep work session with somebody that you know I hadn't met for four, for two years. That's weird. I, I think again, agencies that that's happening a lot. Um, I mean, the AI, man, AI today is crazy. <laughs> you know, we, uh, you know, we're, we're, we try to be on top of it. We're prioritizing, incorporating everywhere, but I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I don't know if that, if it's surprising, if it's strange, if it, but it's definitely all of the above. And I think it fits into your question as well. So I think uh, it's so hard. You gave me the bait. It's so hard. Whenever the door cracks open for AI, it's so hard not to like, all right, well, let's just, let's, let's go for another 40 minutes. But what's like, just while we're, we're on it, what's the, uh, what's, what's, what has been your favorite use uh, of like generative AI or AI? Where has it been plugged into in your processes? Like where have you seen the biggest return or most impact or value? Like, What's really mm-hmm. working for you guys with AI today? Yeah, I mean, we so we have we're using it across uh, channels, right? Uh, from I don't know, from Mid Journey to help with the creative process yep. to Jasper to help with copywriting, for example. And and I can say the same thing for marketing automation, paid media, etc. But one area that maybe that's because of the one that I'm more involved in, but that has blown my mind is in terms of positioning your services in, and understanding your audience. Mm. It's amazing how the prompt, you know, changes the, the, the whole answer, right? Especially with the, with the ChatGPT 4.0 mm-hmm. and now that it has data up until today, essentially when, when you use the, the four point version with Bing, you know, I, for example, I, I, we have the positioning for our agencies in one PDF, right? And it's condensed. I think some some of them it gives you a limit of fifty pages or whatever. But it's yeah. I mean fifty pages at a you know a letter that it's number six. You know can fit a lot of text there, right? <laughs> so you know, but I don't know we have a couple of pages for our positioning and our differentiators and our services. And then you know if you combine ChatGPT with a tool like Phantom Buster where you can scrape, you know yeah. LinkedIn Sales Navigator and the audiences and their positions and what they're describing that their role is in their bio, then, you know, magic starts to happen in terms of, okay, you know, what, if I would have to send one message to this person, 
what would I say? And give me five yeah. examples. Boom. Deeply no, personalized, deeply contextual, hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yep. And yep. you know, be more creative. For example, we follow Josh Brown in sales, right? No. What are you familiar with, Josh Brown? Yes. Okay. What would he say? You know, mm-hmm. that changes the thing. So the, I, I, I've been playing around with those combinations a lot, and it's unbelievable. Something that would take us six months, and I would be okay with the result. Now we can do it in a week. And I'm thrilled in, in the terms of creativity, the points that it has, how it goes straight to the problems that the audience has. I mean, it's mm-hmm. amazing. So, yeah, it's deeply yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, it's happened. It can move so fast. It, the, yeah. the time savings are immense. But then to your point, it's probably working better than, you know, uh, if you or I tried to scratch, you know, uh, put mm-hmm. something like that together, that type of campaign outreach, you know. <laughs> Uh, well, Carlos, uh, thanks for indulging me. On, I snuck in an AI question there. Um, but uh, as we come up on time, I, we've discussed a lot, right? Obviously, Condor has grown upwards of 72, 75 employees. Everyone other than yourself has been hired out of LATAM. And there's a number of uh, value adds and, and meaningful impacts that that, that that has had on the business uh, operationally, gross margins, a, a number of different things. Uh, and then, you know, there's an opportunity for others to think about growing their team in the same way. There's some guidance you offered about resource planning uh, and how to get started and where to get started. So anyways, uh, so much to, to pull from here, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story and your insights. Oh, uh, country, man. Thank, thank you guys for, for having us. Thank you, Kevin, man. Glad, yeah. glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity and, and talk soon, man. And, and any, anyone that, again, wants to reach out, definitely uh, feel free to do it at our website. It's condoragency.com. Thank Perfect. you so much. Awesome. Uh, Well, you heard the man. You know where to find them if you're interested in learning more. Uh, Otherwise, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.